Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, June 18th. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Gigi Broadway is in the building. Gigi, how you feeling? I'm here, man. I'm I'm a little tired, but I'm here. Long weekend. It was it was a long weekend. It was Father's Day weekend. So before we go any further, I want to wish every father a happy Father's Day. I know it's two days past the actual day, but you know what, Gigi Broadway? Fathers don't get enough love on Father's Day. So as compared to other days, <clears throat> Mother's Day. So I want to make sure that every father that is listening to this Cheats Movement on WRIR episode, any of the fathers that listen on to the podcast on Podcasting World, I, I want them to really feel me when I say Happy Father's Day, everyone in the world. Don't look at me like that. Like I'm a Father's Day hater. Don't look at me like that. You know, again, do you? let me ask you in this way. Do you think compared to Mother's Day that Father's Day gets enough love? Here's the thing. Oh! Here's the thing. Okay. No, they don't get as much love. Thank you. That's the right answer. But they get the appropriate amount in comparison to Mother's Day. How do you explain how that works? Mother's Day, we are making arrangements at least four or five months in advance as you should we are making sure that everything is lined up for moms uh-huh. our wives anybody that we know that we really care about as a mother uh-huh. we have the gift on point we have the card on point as you should because we had to prepare nine months in advance to push y'all out and prepare our womb in advance so i think it's only appropriate Ladies, I, I know y'all feel me on this. I will tell you this to all the dads out there, to all the fathers out there. I feel, I feel, I feel you. You know what I'm saying? I went to church on Sunday on Father's Day. Church was light. <laughs> you know, you go to church on Mother's Day. They're giving out Mother's Day lilies. Everything is, everything That's is so grandiose. Special. That's right. I felt like, I felt like church was light on Sunday. You know, I went, I went out to eat for the, I had a brunch. Brunch was look. I looked around. People were just walking in, eating brunch on Mother's Day. I got a book. I got a book six months in advance. That's right. You know what I'm saying. And don't get the Jefferson Richmonders. <laughs> the Jefferson on Mother's Day might be sold out right now might. for next year. Next two years. You know what I'm saying. I gotta call my man and ask for favors <laughs> on Mother's Day. So to all the fathers, man, Happy Father's Day. Gigi, bro, we got a wonderful show lined up uh we got a lot of show lined up today we will be talking to noted noted historian university of richmond associate professor uh and just an expert on race and politics my man dr julian Hader. we're going to talk to him about what else are we going to talk about joe morrissey is Uh back baby good old joe (laughs) we're going to talk about joe morrissey's uh primary victory in the state senate 16th district with julian and actually what we're gonna do gg is we're gonna have a larger conversation not just about joe morrissey and his troubles and his return we're gonna have a larger conversation about what this means for the richmond region somebody with kind of national notoriety uh it's just so many things that played into this race there's uh, no pun intended but race plays into this joe morrissey's uh, a white man that won a predominantly African-American district. There was an incumbent, Rosalind Dance, who has serious ties to the area. There's just so much about this race 
that is almost like a microcosm of a lot of different things. And we talked to Julian Hader about that. I have my thoughts on it. Uh, I don't weigh in too much on my thoughts. Gigi Broadway, do you have thoughts on things? We'll get to them. We'll get we'll get to we'll get to that stuff. But we have Julian Hader on the program. Also on the program, we've got my man Fair, who is just one of the smartest people I know in regards to understanding hip hop and also understanding PR and marketing. Fair is also a writer. I gotta check. He I know he used to write for Complex. I'll check if he's still writing for Complex. He was also uh, a member of Suburban District. He's also an MC. Really talented dude, man, and he's coming through because he went viral. Yeah. We Twitter on fire he set second. Twitter on fire with a post about local hip hop, and we local hip hop is always near and dear to our hearts. So when we see something that really catches fire like this, we bought my man Fair in. We're gonna have a great conversation on that. Again, we're gonna bring up a discussion about Father's Day and who you think Gigi Broadway, America's dad, really is. We got a couple other things coming up. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. And on our Father's Day, we're going to play a little Father's Day jam for you. We'll be right back after this. Check it out. I call it. Yeah. 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 For my brothers with daughters, I call this. For my brothers with daughters, I call this. For my brothers with daughters, I call this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, June 18th. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Gigi Broadway is here. Gigi, how you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. How you feeling? Man, I'm feeling outstanding. We got a couple of major announcements, Gigi Broadway, and a couple of a couple of thank yous, but we got a couple of major announcements, and I want to lead with those because, ladies and gentlemen, this Thursday, this Thursday. We are kicking off Author Ash Boulevard Celebration Weekend. Gigi, did you know that? I had no idea. But you knew about Author a- the Boulevard being renamed for Author Ash Boulevard. Yeah, yeah. Big celebration. It's going to be keynoted by John Lewis, I think, on a cere- an event on Saturday. But this Thursday, it's free. It's open to the public. If you want to holler at your boy, I will be hosting and moderating a panel Courageous Conversations. It is Social Justice at Arthur Ashe Boulevard. It is presented by the Africana Film Festival and the VMFA. It is this Thursday. Doors open at 6.30. You can come holler at me. You can holler at Angeline Moon of the Africana Film Festival. You can holler at Michael Paul Williams of the Richmond Times-Dispatch. My main man, Justin Tinsley of ESPN The Undefeated. Clovia Lawrence, you can holler at. There's just so many wonderful panelists. It is this Thursday, June 20th. Doors open at 6.30, so I got to mention that. And guess what, Gigi Broadway? What? We got another major announcement that I am excited, so excited about. Uh Uh-oh. July 7th. That is a Sunday at 4 o'clock. July 7th is Sunday at 4 o'clock. We are doing another live podcast. Back at it again. We are in the Hofheimer building, the dark room of the Hofheimer building. It is at the Hof. We have some amazing guests lined up. We have some music lined up. Come holler at your boy and Gigi Broadway. 
we just we got to figure out what to do, man. Y'all got some suggestions in regards to listeners. If you have suggestions on how you can be a part of the show, hit me up. We're going to have a really, really fun time. We've got some great guests. we got some music. There will be more details about our live podcast Sunday, July 7th in the darkroom at the Hoff. We're so pumped about it. Please holla at us. Come support. We're so excited about that event. So that's coming up soon. Before we take a quick, quick break, I do want to shout out the wonderful people at the Ask Foundation. It's the Childhood Cancer Foundation. They had their amazing Ask Night at the Diamond on last Saturday. Uh, you know, full disclosure, my four-year-old son Cam is an Ask Kid. He's a, in, in that foundation. The work that they do, the amazing, amazing support they give families all over Virginia with uh, to parents, to children. They're just an amazing foundation, so we got to shout out the Ask Foundation. Uh, it is just amazing, amazing the work that they do. So we're really excited about that. As always, last but not least, Gigi Broadway, this show is brought to you by Working Friends. So we got to shout out Working Friends, Always. one of the best co-working spaces in all of Central Virginia. Make sure you check them out. They are located in Richmond. They are just an amazing, amazing group of folks. So excited that they're a part of the team. And it's never too late. We can always use more sponsors. So if you want to be a part of the team, let us know. Let us know. That's all you got to do. Make sure while you're doing that. Rate, review, subscribe to our podcast. It's the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We'll be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, June 18th. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. And joining me on the line right now is a good friend of mine, Dr. Julian Hader. I want to, before we really get into this conversation, before I welcome Julian to the show, let me just give you a quick rundown. Julian is a expert, if you will. He's a historian, but he's an expert when it comes to Richmond and race and politics. And this week is the perfect week to bring him on to have a conversation about what just happened in our recent primaries. Just for the audience, full-fledged, and for Julian, let me just give you a little bit of background in regards to on Tuesday night, uh, or it was either Wednesday morning or Tuesday night, after we kind of looked at what the Virginia primary landscape was going to look like, there's really one major story that came out of the primaries, and that is the return or possible return in the general. It looks like the more than likely uh, return of Joe Morrissey, who defeated an incumbent in the 16th district. The incumbent he defeated was Rosalind Dance. So to pull you guys behind the court curtain a little bit, and you know this if you follow the Cheats movement on social media, you follow me, Mark Cheatham, on social media, I wrote on, I guess it was Wednesday morning, that I, I have some thoughts about Joe Morrissey winning the election, and I will share those thoughts on this show. And then I immediately panicked because I saw some of the comments that were coming back in, and I panicked because I was like, whoa. I need to have an intelligent conversation about the Joe Morrissey win in the primaries, what that means for Richmond, how we got here, and there is no better person to bring some levity to this conversation than my main man, Julian. Julian, welcome to the program. How you doing? That's pleasure to be here, man. How you doing? Man, I'm doing great. And and like I said, you can imagine when I was like, oh... We got to talk about Joe Morrissey on the show. 
And then the comments that I got, and let me just tell you my my immediate temperature assessment of the situation is that either one of two things, someone or anyone really wanted me to go really hard on Joe Morrissey winning or really hard on Rosalind Dance, the incumbent senator from that area in the 16th district, which is a Richmond Petersburg, kind of mostly Petersburg, but a Richmond Petersburg district. So my read was they wanted me either to go hard on being outraged about Morrissey winning or hard me being outraged on Dance losing. And I'm just trying to figure out how wh- what to make of all of this. So when you look at it, Julian, let me ask you first, what do you make of Joe Morrissey winning a, a, a Democratic primary seat in the 16th district, beating handily beating an incumbent that was in that area for a little while? Well, I think Morrissey's a, he's a known commodity. So um, while he beat an, you know, an entrenched incumbent, I do believe that um, he's familiar with the, the constituency, rather, is familiar with him. And um, nobody likes a, a redemption story more in some ways than, than Americans. And Joe Morrissey, whether we like it or not, has been able to... Um, cast his his run for local office and then for um, state office in that manner and I think he rode that wave all the way um, through that election so it seems to me shockingly predictable in some ways um, given the nature in which he's kept himself in the public eye um, in recent years that um, he was able to sneak up if you will on the incumbent candidate well, let's talk about that because he has been able to keep himself in the public eye. Mm-hmm. And let's just keep it 1000. The reason he's been able to keep himself in the public eye is not for anything positive, right? right. It's for a lot of news stories that no public servant, right, wants to have. And mm-hmm. so he's been able to keep himself relevant through kind of the the motto of I guess all press is good press. Which right. doesn't seem to be a winning formula. However, it's winning now, and it's and it's not just winning for Joe Morrissey. It's actually winning, obviously, in the White House. Absolutely. Um, I think you know, in a lot of ways, what he's been able to do speaks very directly to the nature in which um, African American constituencies feel about redemption stories. But even more importantly how some African-American constituencies feel about white candidates that pay them lip service. And in some cases, it speaks more broadly to the level in which African-American communities have had these antagonistic relationships, especially in this area, with white politicians. So any white politician that generally tends to cast themselves in a favorable light, despite the things that Joe Morrissey um, has been accused of and has been convicted for, I think has a tendency to get further along the political road, if you will, than others. Um, and in many ways, it speaks less to Joe Morrissey than it does to the nature in which we have constitu- constituencies in the Commonwealth of Virginia um, who are looking for a hero. And I think what ends up happening when you have constituencies has been systematically neglected for so long, if someone is able to paint themselves in a particular light, they can get the vote. That's that's a that's 
completely kind of along the lines of what I was thinking in many ways. And at the same time, I'm so... I guess the word I would say is either hesitant, reserved, or concerned that it seems like this is a pattern that plays out through history. Uh-huh. Um, and as you being the historian, maybe can you can you tell me, is there any other examples? When we talk about race and politics in Richmond and we kind of go sure. through kind of a historical context, there is tons of examples of, in particular you know lower income african-american underserved communities in many ways voting against what may be the benefit of their interest and i'm not saying that this is the case in the 16th but you you tell me like what is it about african-american communities when it comes to public service and politics that that really does resonate with these comeback stories these redemptions or even the stories where it's Yes, this person seems to not meet the moral standard that I would want to have for my family. But hey, right. hey, he's our guy or, or right. woman. You know, I don't, I don't want to rob voters of their agency by saying, you know, that they're not, they're not keenly aware of the decisions they're making when they cast ballots, right? Right. Um, well, I, you're right. I don't want to do that either. Right, I, it right, might no, have come off that the, the lead in. No, it might have. Yeah. Go ahead. I know that's not what you intended, but I think sometimes what happens. To groups of people, especially when you have groups of people where the political system hasn't worked for them for so long. If someone is able to to, to cast the narrative, to tell a story, um, to, to portray themselves in a particular light, in, in, in a manner specifically where they're arguing that I can get politics to work for you, I think voters are more than likely, um, will more than likely forgive some of their deeper character flaws. We've seen it repeatedly in American history, sure. and not just in Richmond, right? Right. I mean, we, you know, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is occupied by an individual right now who portrayed himself in that manner, Absolutely. who was able to overcome what we would consider unforgivable character flaws, right? In large part, because sometimes those character flaws engender the candidates to voters in large part because voters see a little bit of themselves in the candidate. I, Bill Clinton is another example, mm-hmm. by the way. Sure. Right? Joe Morrissey isn't the first candidate to be elected to office, right, on the fumes of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that says more about our political system than it does about the individuals who are running for and being elected to office. But I do think, in some ways, he's smart enough to know that voters, in some cases, will look the other way if if he's able to convince them that he has their interest in mind. Right. And it also speaks, you know, I asked my mom one time um, whether or not the glass is half full or half empty. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those cliche questions. And she sure. said to me, it depends on, she said, it depends on how thirsty you are. Right? Mm. And I said, well, that's brilliant. Right? It's absolutely brilliant. And I think that's, this is one of those cases. Right? I think when people get thirsty, um, it, 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 they, they reimagine the, the cup, if you will. And Joe Morrissey is someone that recognizes the reimagination of that cup. And he's been able to capitalize off this thirst, this, um, this constituency that's been systematically neglected by the General Assembly. And anyone that can portray themselves as a working class or African-American hero generally is going to be seen in a favorable light by voters. And to some degree, rightfully so. Let, let me tell you this and see if you agree uh, or just throw it out there and see if you agree because 
there's a lot on the other side of this elect- election coin. We have Senator Dance, who's basically yep. Petersburg based. And as soon as he won, there was a ton of comments, obviously shocked about his winning, but also extremely uh, critical of mm-hmm. the campaign. Not even the campaign that Dance ran, but the you know the years leading up to the campaign uh, right. uh, of incumbents. You know, basically not doing what they needed to do in in their district or for the best interest of the people that, that put it yep. in office. Yep. Here's the thing that I would throw out there that I'm I'm interested to see your reaction about. I think that this election could have been more about or the 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 completion of this version of the of the return of Joe Morrissey had way more to do with storytelling than it actually had to do with governance. And I say that. What? I say that, just throw it out there, because I think if you look at uh, Senator Dance's voting record and the things she voted for and the way that she put her votes in action, I don't see that there's going to be that much of a difference between the way that Morrissey's going to vote and the way that Dance is going to vote. But I do think that there was a major difference in the narratives of the campaigns and the Mm -hmm. way that they tried to tell the stories about who they were. Uh, yep. and, and what they've done And so there's that narrative Again like you said Whether you put kind of a big picture of race in it I don't think race can be ignored But you have this narrative of Joe Morrissey who's obviously You know white man I believe Late you know possibly late 50s I don't exactly know how he is mid 50s late 50s But the narrative sure. is this guy is going to be fighting For this underserved, underserved Community Which yep. that's what he's done his whole life and I you didn't know, see no, any way to get around that narrative, that storytelling. Well, I mean, look, a couple of things. Number sure. one, I think it's been proven. You know, it's, experts have shown this. But I just, I mean, if you look at media culture, it's it's pretty much it's been said ad nauseum in recent years. Americans don't care about policy, right? No. Um, and I think the can- candidates who can who can tell a story, you know, who can master narrative, have shown um, this to be true. And another, but another thing, I think that needs to be discussed in some instances with that narrative is you know nobody loves a white boy that can play the blues more than african-americans right Mm, mm. we want someone that can speak um it's it's something that you see repeatedly right um there's this motif if you will in where we we have always welcomed outsiders who can speak directly to our experience it's something that i think we um has been a, a consistent throughout the throughout our experience in the United States. Don't get me wrong; there's deep skepticism uh, about white actors in trying to ingratiate themselves in the African American community. But I do believe the African Americans are a lot more forgiving than they're given credit for. And in, in many instances, if someone can find a way to speak uh, directly to African Americans, I think they find out just how forgiving African Americans can be. And I think Joe Morrissey has found a way to craft that narrative and, um, to speak directly to this kind of reoccurring theme that we've seen throughout throughout this country's history. I would say, just to add on to that, I would say not just forgiving, but accepting and then forgiving, right? I think Absolutely. that, the after, uh, you know, when you talk about communities, I think just history alone, <laughs> for whatever reason, uh, you know, it's just so you know. I think our African American community has been one of the most accepting communities. And then mm-hmm. once it's accepted, 
that forgiveness comes and comes and comes. And let me ask you this before I get you out of here, because I w- want to be very generous of your time as well. And I, sure. look, I appreciate you uh, you coming on and discussing this. But like when we kind of look at what could be shaping up right in the in the future of Virginia politics, right? Well, right. when we look at the big picture of Virginia state politics, there could be uh, a situation in Virginia now where State Senator Joe Morrissey determines whether it's a 2020 tie and whoever mm-hmm. controls the General Assembly. If there sure. is a 2020 tie, it breaks down to those tie-breaking, tie-breaking votes going to Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax who is in mm-hmm. the middle of a, of a controversy of his own, which honestly right. has gone on for a very long time, and he hasn't. Yep. Ne- no one's been able to see their way out of of either mm-hmm. one of these types of situations. So, big right. picture, Virginia. You know, obviously, we were in a period when it came back to February, where where Virginia was making national news on the state level for all the things that they don't want to do. Sure. Joe Morrissey actually winning that primary. You know, is it's on CNN, it's on MSNBC. That this is yeah. this is a big time story. When we take right. when we take a step back, as you're you're a historian, as we take a step back and look at you know 2019, the first half of 2019, and Virginia politics, and in particular in Central Virginia and in, in Richmond, like what do we make of all of this? Uh, it's just, you know, it's a Commonwealth in transition, man. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and it's struggling. Uh, you know, puberty is an uneasy transition. And I think in some ways, Virginia is trending out of, um, once and for all, the, the lasting effects of this kind of Jim Crowism, right? Mm. It's moving forward. You see more African American elected officials, you see more white officials who uh, speak directly to vulnerable communities, including African Americans, Latinos. Um, so it's kind of seismic shift going on in the political world. And um, it's been taking place for quite some time. But now there are demographic forces that are actually having a profound influence on people who are getting elected to general assembly. See, Republicans figured this out a long time ago, man. Right? All 11 states of the former Confederacy are ruled by Republicans. And this has been done in large part thanks to racial redistricting, which came out in the 1970s and the 1980s. And the and what is... So I'm not as convinced, Mark, that while it has ideological implications, much of the conflict that we see in American politics today has a lot more to do with demographic trends than people like to give him credit for, Mm -hmm. right? It's where people are living. And one of the unintended consequences of this seismic demographic shift is people are moving back into cities um, and people are moving into the Commonwealth of Virginia who are actually changing the political fabric of, of of the Commonwealth itself. And I don't see that trend reversing. Um, and I think a lot of the tension that we're seeing is in large part due to those trends, right? I mean, no one would have, and I hate to say this because it's deeply cynical. Um, the fact that people were surprised that Ralph Northam wore blackface in a segregated college in 1980. Allegedly. I gotta, yeah, look, right. I gotta, I gotta keep my shirt. Yeah, okay. Allegedly, Allegedly wore blackface. It's right. is, right. is more it's more shocking than someone wearing blackface at a segregated frat party in 1984, mm-hmm. right? The surprise to me is more shocking. And what I think is that stuff was common. 
so common it was common sense back then. And I think what's happening is people are now being held accountable because of some of these demographic ideological shifts that have taken place over the last 20 or 30 years. That was those people or individuals like that dictated the nature of politics in the Commonwealth of Virginia for most of the 20th century. And if someone would have been caught uh, allegedly in blackface in 1980, I'm not sure it would have resonated as profoundly as it does now. And that resonation has a lot to do with the nature in which this place is changing, not just because of the ideas, but because the people who are moving here are bringing in ideas that conflict directly with this longstanding segregationist racist history that has dictated the nature of the Commonwealth for far too long. See, I, I think I, I'm with you, but some I think some of it is actual genuine shock, and then I think some of it is just like perceived shock. Like it's like there's there's incidents that happen, and then while there's plenty, how many times have you been? And 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 maybe I can say this, and you can say this, but how many times have you seen something and no one is surprised, but we all have to act outraged? Right, all the time. Right, like, 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 it, well, as soon right. as, as soon as we go in our house and talk to our wives and be like, I knew that all along. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm right. not talking. Like, I'm just talking about in life. There's well, tons of things, and I think what happens now, though, is I think that, especially in public service, public servants have to be given the notion of kind of hypersensitivity, right? Like they have to. But again, the the reaction post. You know, if you're looking at President Trump, the the sure. the, the the reaction post tr- President Trump getting elected, and the, right. is very similar to what happened Wednesday morning in Central Virginia or in Petersburg when I get all these messages like I can't believe this this happened with uh, right. Joe Morrissey's return, and we're all we're all sitting there saying for weeks like we kind of see this coming, we kind of know. Yeah. So now right. we just have to act outraged that th- that this is happening. L- let well, me ask the- you. Th- oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think, you know, I don't want to minimize people's anger, but I do think sometimes we do see a kind of manufactured outrage that belies political trends that that are that are clearly evident if you just if you just took a, if you take a look at, um, at the culture of politics in this particular area. All right, let's end on a high note, because I, 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 not only are you a historian uh, <laughs> and, and, and an expert on history, you are yeah. one of my favorite uh, people to talk hip hop about, and your extensive knowledge about uh, hip hop history is something yep. that people need to know on about this, know about on this show. So yeah. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about this, and I always think about this. But I always look at kind of modern day politicians and uh-huh. modern day politics, and think yeah. historically, if sure. this person was an MC, who would they uh-huh. be, or vice versa? <laughs> and so, my favorite example of this. And I, and, you know, Forbes list and billion dollars, you know, irregardless. I've always said, like, Jay-Z and Barack Obama, to me, would be a good... I, I could make an academic thesis on how uh, Barack Obama would be the Jay-Z of hip-hop and vice versa. If you're looking at the return of Joe Morrissey, and you look at the history of hip-hop, is there anyone that you can say, if Joe Morrissey was a hip-hop artist... He would be uh-huh. this person. <laughs> uh, well, this you know, it's kind of low-hanging fruit, but I think it works, right? Let me just say this before I go any further. <laughs> there are some white dudes that have picked up microphones that could flow. Absolutely. Right? 
And I'm not just talking about Eminem. I'm talking about Search, right? There's a laundry list of dudes um, who, have, who have proven themselves uh, to be thoroughly embedded in the culture. Um, vanilla Ice, man. Are you serious? <laughs> Are you serious? Absolutely. But let me tell you why. All right, give me the break this down for Very me. few people know this about Vanilla Ice, right? Vanilla Ice came out of Texas, man. And he had an unbelievably strong black following in Texas. They loved him. I thought he was a Miami guy. No, but I think he didn't he come out of Texas? Okay, we'll figure we'll figure it out. I, th- I, I thought he came out almost, with the I, whole hey, listen, I could be wrong, but I'm almost certain. Okay. He I... cut his teeth in Texas, okay. by the way. Okay. And, I, and if I'm wrong, then he cut his teeth in Florida. Yeah. Either way, yeah, okay. what I do know is that on the local level, Vanilla Ice had a strong black following, by the way. Uh, strong black following. And I think in some ways, that's the Joe Morrissey I'm thinking of, right? A, a Joe Morrissey who knew how to speak the blues English, if you will, okay. right? Who was able to engender himself to an African-American constituency that said that white boy can play, right? And I think if you think of Vanilla Ice before he got big, that's exactly who Joe Morrissey is, right? I'm not talking Vanilla Ice after he went platinum. Right, and not right? after Ice Ice Baby. Not after the, Ice the, Ice Baby. The one that got, right, the one that got recognized on the way up. Right, right. And I'm not saying he was good. I'm just saying <laughs> he was good enough to have a strong black following before he went big. And I'm going to say one more thing. This has nothing to do with Joe Morrissey. I think we have a tendency to romanticize about hip-hop in the late 80s and the early 90s. Like, this is golden era and everything was good. There was a lot of whack MCs back then, too. Right? There was a lot of whack MCs. In fact, when I was nice. in high school, we used to have a game called Whack MCs. And we would sit around and try to think about who was the worst rapper we could think of. Right. And there was never a shortage. And that dude was on the list, but people liked him because he could dance and he could semi-flow and he followed that wave all the way to platinum status after Ice Ice Baby. Joe Morrissey is straight vanilla ice to the core, by the way. We had, look, the, 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 the power of the modern internet allows me to tell you that you are right and we are actually both right. He, you, he's from Dallas. He's from Dallas. And then he moved to the Miami area. I think we're, we're right when he was right when that Ice Ice Baby stuff was really popping off. If you noticed, yeah. So he, he, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I yeah, think yeah. he cut his teeth in yeah. Texas. No, he Mark. did in Texas. No, you're right. No, no, you're exactly right. And right. They loved him. And they it was the him. I just remember the cars and the rims and the Miami Hurricane starter jacket and the dancing. And right. so, and this is this is fascinating. Uh, look, we will have you back to play this segment of the game way <laughs> way more. <laughs> Uh, it, it's it's a, it's an honor, man, to always have you on the show. Yeah, my pleasure, and, and, man. And just excited about it. We're this, I think, not just this particular race that I know uh, a lot of people have a lot of opinions on and want to talk about. But I think as we move forward, going into obviously November and going into what the you know what everything looks like for the general assembly next year, um, we just got to continue this conversation because to me. Especially in Central Virginia, and when we're talking about the Richmond region, even if we're stretching mm-hmm. down to Petersburg, the the points that you are following and have always followed and wrote a book about and an expert on, but that intersection of race and politics 
and coming out of Jim Crow, I think is just going to be ever present as we move forward. Yeah, I think it's something that can't be denied. I think one of the things we did, I think in many instances, um, when we try to make sense of what's going on in the African-American community in the 21st century, we're quick to leapfrog the 20th century to get back to slavery. And I think uh, we're never really going to truly understand not only the political forces that are dictating, um, you know, what's going on in black folks' lives in 2019 unless we, unless we dig into the 20th century. That stuff has had a much more, that, that history rather, has had much more profound influence on our lives than I think we're, we're, all, we're often aware of. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. Until next time. Dr. Julian Hader, make sure you check him out, look him up, man. I'm excited to have him on the show, and we'll get up next time, Julian. Appreciate it. My pleasure, yep. All righty. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, June 18th. You are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Very rare occasion right now because we have an interview that Gigi Broadway is here for. <laughs> Gigi Broadway is here. We are welcoming in a very special guest, a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. Uh, just really, really just solid, solid guy. But he also also happens to be a writer. Uh, he writes for you know Complex, Green Lantern, Double XL. He does a bunch of that. He's also a very dope MC. We won't get into all of that. But just a, a man that loves words. And his words really took off within like the last five to six days. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome my man Fair to the program. Fair, how you doing? Appreciate it, brother. Um, all is well, man. Just kind of working, doing my thing. So let's talk about it because let's talk about the tweet that went viral in all of Richmond hip hop. It is a beautiful thing for anybody I know to go viral. I don't know how. I don't know how it happens, but. You wrote, a, you wrote a tweet, and I quote, <laughs> Dear local rappers, quit performing at restaurants slash bars for seven other rappers. Quit putting your energy into shooting music videos that get 100 plays. Focus on creating a single record that can go beyond your city and find some good PR. Absolutely. That came from my man, Fair. And then let me just give let me just give you a quick snapshot of what viral really looks like. Uh, Fair is on Twitter. Fair, follow him at Fair VA. But Fair, Fair has uh, you know he has a good account. I mean, I think it's about uh, just over about sixteen hundred Twitter followers. When you go viral, you had seven thousand likes, one point eight thousand retweets and i bet you all of them had retweets with comments oh yeah right they weren't just retweets they were retweets with comment let me start by asking you this because a lot of people don't actually know your pedigree your background Mm -hmm. how long you've been doing music and why this is such an important issue for you Mm -hmm. just tell me what what was the thought process behind the the tweet Mm -hmm. what were you trying to get across and do you think it got it did get across the way you wanted it to um, I think it got across to majority of people, honestly. Um, like the 7K likes, I would say a lot of those people like jumped in my DMs and said like, "Keep doing what you're doing. You're speaking truth. We need more people like this." Um, I think the like why it blew up, how it did. Um, a lot of it was negativity, especially from people in the industry that have a voice. Um, 
but i mean looking back at it i could have reworded some things a little different um i kind of jumped in on the the thread and kind of voiced that in one um one tweet but overall man i think i think i got my point across um all i wanted to do with it is kind of inspire people to think bigger um like i see a lot of artists doing the same thing i fell victim of it myself i'm a rapper as well um like cheats was saying so i'm just trying to get us out of this mindset where it's like like we grew up rapping in the 90s and the early 2000s so we see music videos we saw rap city like that's where stuff premiered uh 106 and park stuff like that um and a lot of people are still trying to like use that formula where it works with some artists um if you have crazy enough content like off the top of my head tyler the creator has crazy visuals if he was nobody and put that visual out like he did i don't even know what year it was um but where he's like eating the cockroach or whatever stuff like that can go viral but i don't recall personally any local rapper in the history of hip-hop that's blown up off a of video um so it's just different ways man i'm i'm pretty much posing save that 500 dollars that you're spending on a music video instead of shooting like three music videos put that towards pr for your entire project um i feel like it just lands more spots so i've read the tweet several times and every time i read it i i go to the other side so i definitely understand what you're saying but part of me still holds on to to the idea of building content and letting your content speak for yourself and the quality of your music rather than you know lucking up on one song getting some good pr and letting the work do it talk to me yeah for sure so i feel like that's the one part i could have explained a little better um and which i did like as soon as i started getting feedback from the tweet um i kind of like you know voiced my opinion a little more thorough um i wasn't talking in the aspect of like creating one single song that blows up it was more so posing the question like how long are you supposed to prove to people you can rap because a lot of people can rap but are you gonna convince me you can rap for 15 years or are you gonna convince me you can rap for 13 of them and then the last two years you're actually putting a plan behind your music other than just simplicity yeah see the thing about hip-hop in general that i think again i think a lot of people were like gg because i think they see both sides of the context right so they see fair's context and a lot of people and i'm talking about a lot of people that have big reputations and big names in the industry is like that's exactly what you want to do but i think what happens a lot of times is hip-hop artists especially and there's this there's this story you fall in love with and that's the story of the artist on the grind, the artist on the grind. Like, there's no such thing as an overnight sensation, truly, mm -hmm. because even your Grammy Best New Artist is like, man, it took me 12, 15 years to become Best New Artist. So what I think, you you tell me what you think, Fair, yeah. but I think what a lot of people heard was like, man, I'm playing the game wrong mm -hmm. based off of this information. Right, and I I can't look at myself in the mirror and say I've been playing the game wrong for ten years because there are these stories of you know I don't know who's been on the grind for 
you know, 10, 15 years, everybody that makes it will look in the mirror and say, yo, I didn't make it in two years. I made it in 12 years. Yeah. And so I feel like they fall in love with that that story, that narrative. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's an honest one. There's a lot of folks. There's nobody that's really skill-wise. I'm talking about skill-wise. There's people that, you know, get a bump and whatever for whatever reason. But if you look at the talented people with skill, they're going to tell you a, a story that's, Five years in the making, ten years in the making, fifteen years in the making, mm-hmm. and and because of access in the internet and all that, they might get a clip. Do you think like people's reaction was based off of their personal how they see themselves? Yeah, yeah. Nah, I definitely feel like a lot of people reacted because um, they felt it um, and they felt like it applied. Which I mean, that's cool. I mean, I'm not if it applies, it applies. Um, but yeah, I feel like ultimately. Um, people are gonna take it how they want man like i definitely think um you need to put your you need to put work in pretty much you need to still be doing shows a lot of people read my tweet and thought it meant never do shows like never or local shows yeah never do local shows never put in the like put in the necessary work that's not what i meant because if you look at it it says in front of seven other rappers it's not seven other fans it's not seven other you know anybody guests whatever um so yeah it's just i don't think you're getting anywhere if you're rapping in front of other rappers and there's like one or two people in the crowd honestly and i can't name anybody who's blown up blown up that way i don't know if y'all can but at some point in your career you've got to start networking you've got to start putting your music in front of label heads it sounds hard it's really not most of the connections that i've made over the years honestly if i tell y'all how i made them y'all would laugh i get on linkedin type in like a blog or type in a website type in a record label and go through like hours worth of searching finding connected um connections or whatever yeah i go into detail and put in the work to network with these people and make genuine connections i'm not just reaching out and saying i'm a rapper like this and that i've met a lot of people through complex that do music and are big into it and i've never once told them i make music all right, so you got me fully on board with this tweet now. Then I got a little bit of context. I, I, I'm riding with you all the way. But then I start to think of, like, the negative impact that it could potentially have in regards to a lot of people thinking that, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to get on by just, you know, getting that one good banger and some PR. So what do you think would kind of stop the oversaturation of a lot of foolishness i should say for lack of a better word entering into the game and kind of flooding it with some things that's going to turn it turn it left i mean i definitely do believe in one hit wonders i'm not saying people should push for it um mainly what i meant by that was just like 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 i said earlier you can actually like convince us that you can rap okay we get it like what's next like are you just gonna keep putting out music where we know you're spitting bars and you can rap or are you actually gonna try to like formulate something that sticks with people more than just your ability the voice you're listening to is fair he is a writer he's an MC. he is a connected member in the industry in many ways could you see like people will say well i don't make music to, to get a get a single that goes beyond my city I make music for these personal reasons is there any do you see any conflict there because you're an artist why why yeah. would why do you make music no I see both sides honestly but at the end of the day 
I'm I'm both of those. Um, I make music just because what I'm going through. If I have something to voice, I want to voice it. But I would be lying if I said I didn't want to be heard by more people. And I feel like every rapper is that way. Um, you can say you do it for yourself or that you want to get your story out. But if you're promoting it online and you're putting it out there for the public, that's when you cross the line. You're not just doing it for yourself. You're putting it out there to be heard. And regardless of how you're heard, whether it's focusing on one record or doing it for 15 years, I believe that everyone wants to you know, be on a larger scale. Well, we definitely want to hear more from you. Fair, tell everybody where they can follow you, uh, yeah. where they can just like keep up with all you're doing. Absolutely. Um, all social media, it's at FairVA, which is F-A-I-R-V-A for Virginia. <laughs> he can read all those extra viral tweets. The, yeah. tweet, the tweets that he wants to go viral to. <laughs> yeah, please. Make sure you follow him. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, June 18th. Gigi Broadway is in the building. Gigi, how you feeling? I'm good. I'm tired. We good. We in here. You know, from time to time, you and I have segments that do not make it to the actual WRIR radio show. This is correct. But doesn't mean that the segment's not good. No, not at all. The segment's probably pretty awesome. More than probably. They're awesome. So we have to figure out a way to get some of those missing segments to our audience. How do you suggest we do that? I say we just throw them out there. In podcast land. Uh, podcast land, social media. Social media and podcast land, which means you have to be following the Cheats Movement. It definitely means that. You have to be following... GG Broadway on everything on everything that's all you got to do make that's sure it. while you're doing that rate review subscribe to our podcast it's the cheats movement on WRIR we'll be right back after this ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen this is the cheats movement on WRIR we'd like to thank our guest Julian Hader Dr. Julian Hader for his commentary make sure you check him out he's an associate professor at the University of Richmond we'd also like to thank my good friend Fair uh, just an amazing talented really ingrained in Richmond's hip hop community Richmond hip hop scene make sure you follow him at Fair VA Gigi Broadway we gotta wrap this up how do you feel? I feel good man Let's end it on the way we started it, talking about Father's Day. Because, again, fathers don't get enough love. Over Father's Day weekend, we had two entries into social media that caused people a little bit of a little bit of angst. Let me ask you, do you see or do you not see Bill Cosby jumping on Instagram and making a Father's Day post basically saying... America's a message from America's dad. Do you still consider Bill Cosby America's dad? I'm gonna be honest. When I hear America's dad, his name still pops in my head. I'm sorry, y'all can kill me all you want to. When I hear it, Bill Cosby still enters my mind. Even though he may have tarnished his legacy, I cannot. May have. Okay, he did. They have tarnished his legacy. He did. But I cannot erase all of the years of admiration and love I had watching this man 
and all of his children on the Cosby show. I just can't, man. I just can't. Say what you will. I, I st- his name still pops up in my head. And I can't I can't undo it. I can't erase it. Do you feel bad about it a little bit? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course I feel bad about it. Man. Oh. So for those who, who aren't familiar, Bill Cosby has an Instagram account. It's a verified Instagram account. And the post was Hey, 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 it's America's dad. I know it's late, but to all of the dads, it's an honor to be called a father. So let's make today a renewed oath to fulfilling our promise, strengthening our families and communities. There Bill were Cosby. no lies detected there. No lies there. A great message. I, I, I strongly disagree. I feel like Bill Cosby and those like him as much as I do still like I don't know what I'm gonna do when Cam gets of Cosby show age because the show is a great show the question is can I separate the art from the human being and I have trouble with this recently because there are artists out there that I have to account their art along with them as a human Bill Cosby and the other R type individual who I will not mention on this show uh, it's just difficult, man. I can't, I can't enjoy the albums. I can't enjoy the show nearly as much. I mean, I, I, from time to time, I'm telling you, if I walk into a barbershop and it's on, I'm, I'm not gonna turn. I'm not gonna demand them turn it off. But I just can't. I just can't with him. <sighs> Dang, Bill got a bad rap, man. No, no, he did it to himself. He got a bad rap. He did it to himself. Poor Bill. Uh, the other social media issue of the of Father's Day weekend Gigi Broadway is another father decided to join Twitter that father just happened to be OJ Simpson so you can follow OJ on Twitter he has in a very short amount of time amassed 673.8 thousand followers OJ Simpson is following eight accounts and he said he's here to get even and set the record straight that's what he said those are his words not mine let me ask you this oj simpson is following eight accounts can you name any of the eight some of them are fairly obvious all right let me let me get chris jenner on the list is that one of the he eight? is not he is not but he did one of the things he wanted to set straight immediately is that he is not chloe kardashian's father which i still don't believe by the way that's what he said just letting you know so nothing better on father's day <laughs> than than bill cosby and oj simpson returning to social media wow fathers need more love yeah. Fathers, yeah, we gotta, yeah. you gotta yeah, put some gotta. respect on our name. <laughs> this is not helping. Mother, this wouldn't happen on Mother's Day. You, this not. wouldn't happen on Mother's Day. No. You gotta put some respect on our name. This is ridiculous, and we need better, better role models. Yikes! This is true. I see what you're saying. I, I, I agree, though. Fathers need more love. And speaking of that, let me ask you this on the way out. Because I know we've been talking about this for hours on end. If anybody's listening to the show, we've been talking about this for hours on end. If you had to name America's dad or an American, like, who you would consider America's dad, who would you name? 
I can do America. I can do hip hop's dad. Shout out to DJ Cool Hurt, which is hey, that's a good one. Father of hip hop. I can do him. One. But America's dad, I, I I can't I can't pick. I think you have a good one. Uh listeners, before we get out of here, please send us your tweets, your messages. Who do you think is now America's dad? I'm gonna go with Barack Obama. Of course. <laughs> I'm just I just said he the- wins most every category for me. But when I think of someone that could guide a family in the right direction, if America is our family, Barack Obama is the adult in the room, clearly, and he would be my choice for America's dad. Just let you know. I'll throw it out there. That sounds good. That sounds good. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, again, as we mentioned before, please check us out uh, Thursday at the VMFA for the kickoff to Author Ash Boulevard celebration. Sunday, July 7th, we will be at the Dark Room Cheats Movement podcast. Cheats Movement on WRIR live in the Dark Room at the Hoff. Make sure it's free. Come on through. What else could you want? Rock with us. A great time for free. Oh, it's going to be great, man. Until next time, everyone. Gigi Broadway, last thing to say to the people? We see it. We see it. We're out.